My water came out brown before I left for Ace. What? It was coming out brown the week before I left. It was so stressful. I've never dealt with that before. It is such a, like, violating and invasive problem to deal with. That happened to me one time when I rented a house um, in Angola, New York, which is kind of country. And, uh, like, when I would do a load of, like, white laundry and it would come out brown and yeah and then like when i fill up if i filled up the bathtub it was like it wasn't like dark brown but you could tell it's not like you know how it's discolored yeah gross (laughs) my first brush with anything that was water related um before i even got in the industry uh water pipe underneath the house burst during one of the i think it was like one of those polar vortex years there were a couple years in a row where that happened and it burst it was the first time that i ever ran into this problem where i no longer had water and it blew my mind i was like i am so amazed at how much i use water like totally changed my entire perception of the value of water at that moment in time and um, i always think back to that whenever i think about the value of water so Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water, one podcast. My name is Mandy Crispin, Editor-in-Chief of Waterworld. I'm Jeremy Wolf, Editor for the Endeavor Water Group. And I'm Bob Crossan, Editorial Director for the Endeavor Water Group. In this episode of Talking Underwater, I will be speaking with Bob and Jeremy about their time at AWWA ACE 23 in Toronto, Canada. This is at the annual conference and exhibition for the water, American Waterworks Association in which water professionals convene to attend educational sessions and learn about new products from exhibitors. Some major trends this year include the complicated regulatory environment with concerns over the PFAS maximum contaminant levels, uncertainty surrounding Build America by America, and the anticipation of the lead and copper rule improvements later this year. Other trends included addressing workforce issues, namely hiring and retention, dealing with drought and waning water supplies, and advancements in smart water technology, particularly with AI and machine learning. So Jeremy and Bob, thank you for being here with me. Let's start first with the regulatory side of things. We have PFAS, BABA, LCRI, and other complicated matters. What did you hear on these issues while at ACE? I think one of the regulatory issues that is front of mind for a lot of utilities and certainly was at ACE was PFAS. There were uh, several presentations at at the conference on PFAS treatment, on the costs of treatment and management generally, and on PFAS analysis because this parts per billion requirement is so small. Parts per trillion requirement is is so small. Um, There are quite a few products for treatment and analysis, and the, the products for analysis is, I think, an interesting thing because we normally think of PFAS testing as a regional issue dealt with by labs local to the utility, but there was actually one startup at the Innovation Center that is developing a portable testing kit that would deliver near real-time results, which would be revolutionary in dealing with this issue and uh, complying with the MCLs that EPA has proposed. On the side of cybersecurity, there uh, have been a lot of uh, changes on the federal level that make cybersecurity a more pressing issue for utilities. And not only that, we've seen over the last few years since the start of the pandemic uh, and since the start of a lot more uh, remote operations that cybersecurity can be a huge issue for operations. And so there were presentations about cybersecurity at the local and national scale, uh, not only about how utilities can deal with it at home, but uh, 
There were also presentations on uh, the EPA cybersecurity testbed, which would be testing out how different products, solutions, and software uh, could be penetrated or made vulnerable and uh, ways to counteract that. I wanted to talk about the last bit was uh, the Consumer Confidence Reports, the CCRs. Uh, EPA has proposed changes to those that would affect states and water systems nationwide. And I think uh, while there aren't uh, products geared toward it, there are certainly presentations talking about it. And it is also just representative of uh, a trend overall uh, nationally about heightened federal involvement for water systems in the United States, which I think touches on all of these and will continue to do so in the years ahead yeah definitely and just to more to the point of what jeremy was talking about with pfas some of the things that i that i heard too i, I did speak with the awwa regulatory technical manager chris moody we had him on the podcast back in april to talk about the mcl proposal but awwa has finally submitted its actual comments to it and some of the high level of things to note from my conversation with chris was that the AWWA is putting an emphasis on wanting EPA to align the regulation more with the current science available rather than outcry from the public because there is a lot of movement, it seems like, toward um, the squeaky wheel is really getting the grease, and they want to make sure that that's also aligned with the best available science to solve that problem uh, as well. They also noted that there's some financial concerns uh, regarding that because it would require some advanced treatment, namely ion exchange and granular activating carbon, which are the two of the most common and prominent ways to handle the PFAS chemicals in water. And lastly, they said that the EPA should really be using the UCMR5 occurrence data that is being brought together right now for monitoring to create a better informed regulatory structure as it relates to PFAS regulation. So they had a couple of things there. Their comments actually were very long. I think it's a 186-page document that they submitted to the EPA. So it'll be a while before uh, we hear anything on the EPA as to what the what they're going to incorporate from public comment. The other element, too, was uh, BABA. There's really education needs to be really is really needed here. Um, engineers and consultants are still kind of getting up to speed with it, whereas manufacturers are kind of already really aware of the concerns that this is going to place on them. But the engineers and consultants, I think, are still kept playing catch up to kind of get involved with this because they've not really had to deal with it quite yet. They've had to, they've been doing a lot of projects that have used waivers for anything that was prior to the effective date of May 14th, 2022, but now those projects are starting to dry up. So they're starting to realize that we need to make sure that the compliance happens and they're seeing some of the concerns that are involved there. Um, and then um, one of the biggest concerns there is manufactured product guidance, which is expected to come from the Office of Management and Budget um, or the Made in America office. We're expecting to hear that either sometime later this summer, but Given what we've seen so far from the federal government as it relates to this guidance and how complicated and complex it is, I wouldn't necessarily stick to that being the case for the actual timeline, and we'll just accept the timeline when it comes. But I saw, Jeremy, you had something you wanted to add on this BABA education thing. Uh, never mind. I also wanted to talk about the, the manufactured products guidance, how that is the one area that a lot of manufacturers are uh, worried about, how... A lot of the products they're making, they're not sure whether it's BABA compliant because the guidance still isn't out on whether or what certain components can contribute to that 50%, 55% of the manufactured product's cost. And mm -hmm. I think that is just an issue all around. If someone was walking the show floor and asked them if it's BABA compliant, it's difficult uh, in some unique situations to give a clear answer on that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there are certain products where it is easier to do that because like for the iron and steel products are more or less compliant using the American Iron and Steel Act, which has been in effect for many years now. And a lot of these companies who do like valves and pumps and things like that that fit into that category, they're not having as much of struggle with that because they're complying with what they've always complied with for the most part. But the manufactured products is going to impact things like blowers or HMI systems, so human machine interfaces, things that have a lot of components, like hundreds of components and how far down do you go to calculate what 55% is domestic, right? And what do you use as the number for that? And then the bigger challenge, too, that they always mention, these manufacturers, is labor is not included in it, which seems to run counter to the idea of creating jobs, which is the American uh, the Investment and Jobs Act, right? So it is, it's a really complicated thing, and hopefully we can get a better and more clear picture later this summer. But again... I wouldn't hold my breath on that exact timing. I would just accept when it comes and know that it's going to be a while and that there may be a big lag in project timelines uh, later this year and into 2024. Now, the last thing I wanted to touch on when it comes to regulatory things, because and I apologize that this is such a long period that Jeremy and I are talking about regulatory things, but this is just the state of water as it is right now. There's so many regulatory elements that are all converging at the same time and creating a lot of challenges. But the lead and copper rule improvements. So the lead and copper rule revision was published uh, several years ago now, and utilities are complying with the lead service line inventory portion of that. And that is due by October of 2024. But I spoke with Jeff Swartveger from Cincinnati Waterworks about the current focuses for utilities as it stands right now. And he mentioned specifically the inventories is kind of the focus for a lot of them. But the biggest challenge there is that each state is essentially creating a form or standard by which people submit their inventories that are different from the next state over. So working with your state and seeing what they are requesting of you is really critical for these lead service line inventories. So if you are working on this, make sure that you're following what your state wants and not some federal guidance level thing because different states have different requirements. The other major major element here is communications, which I think is uh, really ties into the consumer confidence reports thing that Jeremy was talking about as well, where communications is getting a much bigger push and a continued big push, which we've seen over the past couple of years. And it can be a real big can of worms. And Jeff at, in Cincinnati said that it is really critical that utilities get out in front of all of these of their communities and ahead of all of these regulatory things to start talking with them now about things that are a little more simple, less nuanced, so that you can build that trust at this moment in time so that when these nuanced things happen, they trust you when you talk about them. And I think there's a big can, of, like I said, it's a big can of worms because it's going to get to a point, once you have your inventory done, you're going to have to prioritize. And certain neighborhoods are going to get first treatment or first replacement over others. And that is going to create a lot of potential infighting in communities. So it's really critical that you explain how and why you're doing the priorities that you're doing. So those are, those are kind of the big things I wanted to touch on there too. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Jeremy, one of the things you had mentioned prior to this call uh, was the advancement of smart technologies, particularly with AI and machine learning, gaining more traction. Could you speak to what you noticed about this? 
Yeah, I think there is a growing use of artificial intelligence and machine learning in the water industry, and I think this is a representative uh, development for how smart water is more quickly embracing the changes of the information age and this technology revolution that we're living through. Uh, we know that smart water was, uh, as a market, was a little bit slower to mature as, as ways of acquiring data developed and utilizing that data developed. But now we're seeing with how cutting edge AI and machine learning are that uh, a lot of smart water product providers are kind of living on that cutting edge and allowing water utilities to develop a bit more quickly. We see uh, Blue Conduit, uh, they had a booth in the Innovation Hub on the show floor at ACE. They have machine learning to use historical uh, lead service line data or, or water distribution system data to locate lead service lines. And that is a huge deal. They've been around for a while, but another massive development that's really, really cutting edge was uh, adjacent to ACE, intentionally adjacent to the conference, was Clear's unveilments of they're using the generative AI through Microsoft, including ChatGPT, in its water utility management platform. And so someone using their product could simply type into a chat box like, hey, give me X report on YZ variables, and they could have that through this generative AI platform, which is quite revolutionary and I think representative of how much more quickly the water industry is going to be able to adjust to the next stage of the information age. Totally. And one of the things I wanted to know here too is that a lot of these smart water things that are using AI and machine learning are really positioning themselves as a workforce tool solution. So one of the other big challenges and that we're hearing from utilities especially is the concern with hiring and retention, making sure you have the people with the expertise in the right in the right seats on the bus, so to speak. And using AI and ML can really help with this because it can provide solutions that solve some of the lower level functions of work in a utility and can automate some of those things and then provide the higher level decision points that a utility professional with the expertise needs to actually make decisions on. And so not only is it providing this level of service that allows them for higher level thinking, but it also is this opportunity to capture all the historic data like Jeremy was talking about with the Blue Conduit solution having is taking historic data and then creating a predictive model of the actual system and using and using that to inform decisions by having that historic data recorded and having it build over time the next generation of workforce will be able to kind of slot into those positions a lot easier because they won't have they won't have the loss of knowledge as people begin to retire and that's one of the big challenges that I think a lot of folks are concerned with is that Somebody who's working for a utility for 30, 40, 50 years has so much in their brain and getting that all back out and into the mind of the next person in line is a real big challenge. So a lot of these these smart water folks who are using AI and ML are really positioning these tools to specifically solve that problem of like legacy knowledge and workforce. A lot of manufacturers were on hand as well. Could you talk about what you both saw from new and existing product trends at the show? Absolutely. I think we saw quite a few developments and returning changes for leak detection and smart water products. And I think that quite illustrates uh, the, the evolution of the smart water market for uh, collecting and using data. Uh, for one, Census, uh, a Xylem brand, launched a new ultrasonic water meter that they say has uh, three measurement points in it and is able to 
much more accurately measure flow uh, in, in low flow or high flow conditions. There was also um, in C2 uh, launched a new multi-parameter water quality instruments uh, that can uh, hold, I think, six different sensors as well as an anti-fouling wiper. And so a lot of these products, I think, are showing how fully we can collect data once we get involved in it, where before it was a question of how it's it's a question of if we want to collect this data and that that new growing opportunity of of a billion endpoints of analysis i think is really exciting for the industry yeah it's a matter of being as comprehensive as possible is what i kind of gathered from a lot of these smart technologies just like putting as many things in there as possible to make it kind of a one-stop shop for these utilities for the pfos solutions most of them were like i had mentioned before, prior in this in this episode granular activated carbon or ion exchange we saw these types of technologies available from a lot of the big established brands, whether that's Calgon Carbon, Avoqua, Curita America. But there were also some companies such as Ixum, Aqueous Vets, and Resintech who also provide those exact solutions that also directly compete with those big suppliers as well. So one, one thing I really want to note here is that all of them come with their own different nuances on why they are beneficial and why they why they might be better for your system or not so really would encourage you to do some research on the different types of resins that are available out there if you're doing ion exchange same thing with carbon and determine what actually is the best option for your system because there's going to be a lot of competing things that are out there and making sure that you're informed on what's going to work best for you is really going to be a critical part of your pfos solution um, one other interesting thing to note here, so kind of talking about the smart water element, is that uh, there's a PFOS digital dashboard for monitoring from Trinex, which is a subsidiary of CDM Smith. This was launched not too long ago, only within the past couple of years, but that Trinex technology is also used for lead and service solutions, namely for lead service line inventory and reporting dashboards. And those kinds of dashboards are really gaining traction with many of these smart systems in software systems and SAS, so software as a service systems within the water sector. And another one of those is also 120 Water, with whom we've talked up with prior on this podcast about numerous things, including just normal industry trends and whatnot. But they are actually partnering with Blue Conduit, who Jeremy had spoke spoke about earlier today, who has that predictive modeling tool. They provide predictive modeling for lead service lines. So using your historic data and what you know about your system to identify the likelihood that lead pipe is located at a specific spot in your system and how they're working with state governments and with the federal government to ensure that their level of standard for that machine learning algorithm and for that predictive modeling is an effective way to submit your lead service line inventories. Um, but it, now they're partnering with 120 Water, so that specific tool can slot into the 120 Water tool, which is helping you manage your monitoring of everything and provide additional dashboard support. So it's a really cool I idea here and some two very big players who are in this innovation hub who are working together on that. And I thought that was a really interesting touch for the lead and copper rule. What other trends did you guys notice or hear about that we haven't talked about so far? I think another prevalent trend is uh, simply how utilities are concerned with and approaching drought conditions. Uh, quite a few presentations at ACE this year 
uh, focused or had some emphasis on the management of water during drought conditions, the communication and public outreach of these drought conditions, and alternative water sourcing, especially in the, the west of the U.S. And I think uh, this is a concern that is only going to grow over the years uh, with unsustainable pumping and population growth, as well as, as well as climate change, where weather conditions might become quite a bit less predictable for some utilities. Yeah, the the communications, I think, is a very big point. It kind of came up with a number of the interviews that I conducted with AWWA leadership, regardless of kind of the regulatory concerns that were happening or future looking into the future of what what utilities need to be concerned with and what the industry needs to be concerned with, whether that was with Water 2050, Consumer Confidence Reports, like Copper Rule, PFAS, all these different things. But one of the things I really thought was interesting and I heard from numerous people was, again, this focus on the science and really making a push for having better science to inform regulations rather than just saying this is a major concern and we have to regulate it right now and really trying to get data to inform those decisions rather than making decisions informed on outcry. That was a, a big thing that I heard. And then the other thing, too, that I thought was really interesting, and I heard occasionally through through folks, whether that was exhibitors at the show or whether that was AWWA folks or even con consultants and engineers, was this growing trend of asking what comes next or, okay, now what? So thinking about that through the lens of lead and copper rule or PFAS, for example, for the lead and copper rule, there's first and fifth liter uh, monitoring, right? So you need to sample your water in five one-liter bottles, and you use your first and fifth liter to for that sampling process. What happens to the bottles afterward? What types of materials are being used there? Is there recycling that's available for them? Are we creating a landfill problem? What is happening after we complete our work that is trying to solve a problem? And then similarly, on the PFAS angle, which we have talked about before in this podcast numerous times, which is what happens after you have treated PFAS out of water? So you've used granular activated carbon or you've used ion exchange. Now, as opposed to having the PFAS in your water, you now have it in your resin or you have it in your carbon. And that's a different waste stream. And how do you get rid of that? How do we des destroy these PFAS chemicals? What are the best modes of action there? I think there's a lot of questions regarding that and really the future and forward thinking of, so we've solved our problem, but are we creating a problem for someone else? And I think that's a really interesting trend that I noted, noted from n a number of people that I spoke with at the show. Thank you both for speaking with me today on to housekeeping. For Waterworld, be sure to check out our AWWA ACE coverage on our website, waterworld.com. We have photo galleries for PFAS, smart water leak detection, and lead and copper products for you to peruse. We also have more than 10 video interviews with industry expert experts filmed at the show that will be coming your way in the next month. And you can catch all of those on waterworld.com slash videos. I want to also direct you to the Wastewater Digest YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Wastewater Digest. While you're there, please hit the subscribe button. I've been publishing our video interviews with the 2023 WWD Young Pros, and I have quite a few more videos planned for July and August. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one.
And lastly, for Stormwater Solutions, later this year, we will be hosting StormCon in Dallas, Texas from August 29th through August 31st. Exclusive to this podcast is a 10% registration discount. The discount code is 1WATER10, all caps. That is, in all capital letters, O-N-E-W-A-T-E-R-1-0 for 10% off your registration for the show. And to find a link to put in that registration code, you can visit bit.ly slash stormconreg2023. That is B-I-T dot L-Y slash stormconreg 2023. And with that, don't forget to like, subscribe, share the podcast from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can reach us at talkingunderwater at endeavorb2b.com to share your thoughts. And of course, be sure to follow us on Twitter at at T-U-W podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.